Welcome into a new Buff Stampede Radio. Adam Mustager, the publisher of BuffStampede.com, here to recap Colorado's 2023 football season with football analyst William Gardner, Buff Stampede staff writer Sean Niehoff, and 104.3 The Fans' Matt Smith. And that segues us into a very negative topic, your least favorite moment from CU's 2023 football season. You go, William. You start again. You start oh, yeah, again. No I, got, I got to deliberate. <laughs> I got to deliberate. I got, I got a couple here. Well, uh, what, you know what? what? Yeah, go ahead. Sean, you go then. <laughs> okay, perfect. All right, I'll, uh, I'll start. So what I actually <laughs> listed, and it's not really my least favorite moment, but uh, was the uh, – the the change the change in the uh, with with the SID and the lack of having having food in the press box this year. I understand why they did it. I understand all the changes that went along, but but that was the most disappointing part of the season to me. Um, you don't like those hot dogs from Bulchfield House? No, no. I, I think I think we you know, and you look back at it in hindsight too. And I think the press was a little bit spoiled because they were. Uh, a, there wasn't that there weren't that many people covering the team, but also B, that was a little bit of a carrot, I, I think, to the, Free food. the good, <laughs> right, right, the good food that we that we had in there. So that was disappointing. But uh, from a team perspective, you know, for me, it's it's the pretty obvious second half of the Stanford game. Um, despite the losses, you know, the blowout at Oregon, and then the loss in a game that you potentially could have won with to USC for the first time. Uh, ever it, it was that that collapse in the second half that really exposed a lot of the issues that we've discussed already um, in this roundtable both on the field and off the field um, so that that's that to me is is really the pivotal point in the season and when things kind of unraveled and and let us down the uh, the path of uh, you know a, a one and six finish to the season but uh, that's that that's my low light I'm ready now, William. I'll take it from I'll take it from here. I think when we met at the bye week, actually, William, you and I had the same answer, and that was the Travis Hunter injury, right? Because that rocked the team. It shook their confidence against Colorado State. If he plays against USC, guys, I really believe they would have won that football game. I mean, they spotted yeah. USC a 21-point lead and still almost won that game if they didn't, you know, pussyfoot around with the last seven minutes of the game. I mean, if we're just being completely honest. So I, I will say I think the Stanford second half was awful, and I believe I, I mentioned when we recon, when we convened at the bye week that that was one of them. But for me, I think it's going to be the UCLA game, and here's why. They had two weeks off, and nothing changed. That was extremely disheartening, and it really said, all right, well, the back half of this year is going to be a slog. They had two weeks off, and, and my biggest problem was – you know, first half to second half against Stanford, they were doing the same exact stuff and Stanford just caught up eventually and there were no adjustments made. And then I thought to myself, well, they just put that on tape. There's no way after a self-scout that you don't come out and do things differently against UCLA. And it was the same exact thing. And UCLA was just waiting for it. And that was the worst game of the year by the offensive line. They were running for their lives. Talented players, but also the same exact scheme. That was when I knew Sean Lewis wasn't the guy and and it was like okay, the back half of this year is going to suck, isn't it? And it did. So that would be that would be the lack of adjustment over the bye week and real real accountability of what's going on in the program. It also raised another red flag for me about Prime that he didn't see some of this stuff over the bye week and wasn't anticipatory in thinking about it. 
you know, I got to go a, diff- a slightly different direction. It's interesting to me that, you know, when we, we, we did that podcast at that point, um, obviously the injury to Travis Hunter was a lot more fresh, but that, that one has sort of faded. But another thing from right after that, that just makes me so Fargan angry is, is that Oregon game and particularly that POS, can I say POS, uh, Dan Lanning and his smug, just punk attitude, talking trash in the locker room, surrounded by all his guys and the things he said, you know, we're playing, we're working for click, whatever, you know, the guys on our team are working just as hard as the guys on his, on his team. Uh, he inherited a bunch of fuck friggin' five stars. And, and uh, I caught myself there almost <laughs> the good catch. <laughs> got a snow cone there in the outfield, <laughs> but uh, you know, it, it just, it, it, it still sticks and I'll bet it eats it at prime too. You know, he's too classy to mention it. I'm, I'm not classy, so I will mention it, but uh, that, that whole, because of the way Dan Lanning handled it, you know, I don't like getting my backside kicked under any circumstances, but when you've got some smug punk being like that, that, that just, that, that to me just sticks and it's going to stick for a long time. I was watching the uh, Pac-12 championship game with Oregon and Washington last night as we record this. And every time Dan Lanning's face came on the screen, William, I thought of you. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it takes a lot for a dude to pass up Tom Osborne on my pantheon of hate. (laughs) Is that where you're at with Lanning? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're there. We made it. He climbed the mountaintop. No joke, I pulled up uh, an episode we did where you said, Dan Lanning, bring your butt to Denver, Colorado, because we're going to have words. <laughs> and I enjoyed that very much. And uh, yeah. it, it, rival- it still has, rivalries it still- are good for sports. I'll, I will always yeah. contend that. Yeah. I, I, and, th- you know, I, I'm, I, you know, with that said, I'm, j- I'm happy to be leaving the Pac 12. God almighty, am I sick of that conference? <laughs> It was very sad. Did you see how strategic George Klyovkov was with the trophy celebration? There was not a photo angle to have him in it. He was down there during the trophy presentation the entire time, but his face was always turned back and he never gave the cameras the opportunity, which I kind of get like you want the focus to be on Washington. Great season, undefeated, going to the college football playoff. You don't want the the faltering conference to be the the headline there. But uh, man, he just backed his way. He grew a goatee and backed his way out of the Pac-12. <laughs> a little disguise for his next job interview. <laughs> yeah. Mission Impossible. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Rip the mask off. Oh, that's I got to go with AU Mainer's incredible touchdown catch. Oh my God, that guy. which tied it forty three in overtime. Uh, Matt, were you you were down on the field with me at that point, right? I would uh, no, imagine I was. I was watching that one from right above, and oh, and God. I was I was in the staircase at that moment because I remember watching that, and that was the moment that you just went, okay, it's just not it was it was a day. it wasn't even a feeling of that's not their day. It was like there was some type of capital given out there to the universe to get college game day, Fox noon kickoff out here. Things have gotten to a a fever pitch with Colorado recruiting and just the football program in general. And I don't know, maybe it's that PTSD that you have covering this program for uh, over two decades now, but that was a moment where I was like, 
to it, just this feeling sinking into you that, yeah, this season isn't going to be what you thought it was going to be. And um, I really did feel that in that moment. And I wanted to kind of fight that, but it was there. The kick return against Washington state also sucked being there live for that kick return at Washington against Washington state that they allowed make it 14, seven. And then you're just like, ah, oh, well, game's over. Well, game's yeah. over. You know what I mean? Like maybe you had a chance, not game's over. The other one, Oregon with the fake punt. That was a, uh, there were a couple, like there were probably yeah. three just daggers this right. year, the fake punt at Oregon, right? The AO manor catch. And then I'd say the kick return at Washington state where you just knew it wasn't meant to be. Sean, what is going to get those uh, beautiful words singing for the Buffaloes in a positive narrative next season? What do they need to get in this roster going into 2024? Well, for, I mean, it, you know, for me, I think it's it's home run hires, um, especially with the, the news today about Nick Williams. Um, so I think I think home run hires at the offensive coordinator, offensive line spot the backfilling um nick williams i think that's the key because those are the things that are going to lead to to filling in some of the on the field needs so obviously the offensive line has to be completely rebuilt um, more than being retooled with with some of the the exits this week um and then after the offensive line i think they need a uh, um I think they need a big influx of, of talent and bodies at the linebacker spot. And I think it's critical for them to, to be able to pull in uh, the next QB one um, in this off season. So whether that's, uh, you know, continuing to court uh, Anton Hill or, or finding, you know, somebody else um, it's, they've got to have somebody that, that gets into the program that they can, that they can start to build a future around because, you know, as we saw this year too, Staub was, you know, I mean, he, he, he gave it everything he had. And, and I don't think he, he was as bad as people expected, but I don't also don't think that he showed that he's, he's the guy who's going to take over this program once Shador heads to the NFL. So those are the top three positional needs on my list. Or who wants to jump in next? Yeah, yeah go okay. ahead, William. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's, you know, I mean, I think it's got to begin and end with left tackle on offense. We don't have one, uh, and it's if you know, arguably the second most important uh, position on the team. Um, and I don't know who that would possibly be. I'm not sure Washington could could flip and play that that position, and I'm not sure he's got the athleticism to do it either. So clearly a left tackle, and then I would say, quite frankly, uh, a a, a game changing pass rusher. Um, would be the next thing, and uh, and then man, we we just need a couple of road grading guards. But I I kind of got to go with Sean. It all doesn't matter if we don't get the right coaches in there, man. You know, I mean, we we got to have the right offensive coordinator to take advantage. And and I think either Matt or Sean said earlier, we got to have the right offensive coordinator who can take advantage of what Shadur does well and not waste his last year there. So you got to bring in somebody that matches with his talent level, talent and skills, and uh, put in an offense that matches what he's able to do, um, you know, and with a quality offensive line coach. So uh, I, I would say left tackle, guard, and, and pass rusher, and, and then the, the, you know, the right assistant coaches. I'm going to go to the coach as well. You know, also, obviously, they need better linemen, and now you need a left tackle and all that. But 
Look, guys, I mean, this was an offense that struggled to adjust all year. They came out primarily doing the same things. There was a real lack of creativity, I felt like, from just a design perspective. Overall, like at the TCU game, it looked one way, but then we kept seeing just that, right? You know, so that was a problem. And a rock star offensive line coach. You know, I... That's tough because to keep those guys is always going to be a challenge, number one. And number two, as Sean mentioned, if you don't have the quarterback for next year, then, yeah, you want that guy for this year. But at the same time, like, where is the importance if you're just rolling out some freshman in 2025? Like, that's also challenging. So I think, you know, dogs overall everywhere, you know, you're probably good at corner. Uh, safety, you're probably good linebacker. You need some help there and defensive line. You're going to need a lot of help again. Some of those guys got better, but you just need a different quality of player there. You know, you really do. I love what Sal Sinceri did throughout the season. I think his unit was one of the few that progressively did improve throughout the season. So that was, that was impressive, but it all comes down to how well you can protect your door. I mean, if they can give that kid time, I, I mentioned this at the end of the year. I can't remember what game I'm, I was watching, but it had to be like two weeks ago. And, you know, or I don't even remember. It was some, it was like some Missouri. Yeah, it might've been Missouri. The quarterback looked good. I'm like, Shador is way better than this kid. This kid just has time. Like I would love to see what Shador could do with legitimate time to process information and make those decisions, because that is really going to be the difference between whether or not they're a legitimate, you know, they're legitimate offense. And I also believe it's running the football. I, I you know, one of the guys I'm going to say is already on their roster, but Alton McCaskill, like I, I, they need him to be the guy that they recruited him to be. If they can get that guy next year, then they should have a balanced running game. They should. Well, Matt, Matt, Matt you said something that just really flipped a switch for me. And I've been saying this, you said a rock star offensive line coach and, and for Christ's sakes, can we hire a guy out of pack out of, out of power off a power five team for the love of God? You know, we took a guy last year who'd never, never coached at the power five level. We hired a Louisiana yeah. guy who was not even coaching high school for Christ's sake. We, you know, McIntyre brought in his guys from, from freaking San Jose state for the love of God can Colorado power five team hire a power five freaking offensive line coach who has done this before. And to your well. yeah, and to your point, Jonathan Smith, one of the most important things I was reading the interview, he said in going right. to Michigan State was bringing his o- offensive line coach with him, right. right? So we'll see how that happens, but that's so important. It really is. I don't know how you follow up Williams' passion. I really don't. <laughs> I love you, man. Uh, no, uh, I breathe into a bag. I'm calm. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you guys articulated the needs on the offensive line pretty well. I, I do want to focus more on linebacker. Uh, Nate Landman, for me, kind of showed what an elite top-level linebacker can do for a defense. And they haven't had that since him. And Jawan Mitchell kind of showed a few flashes of that, but it wasn't always the most disciplined football that he was playing. He was kind of a wrecking ball out there making plays on his own at times. And then uh, we still don't know to this day what happened with him late in the season. But that's a spot. If you can really land a difference maker and linebacker, this is a defense that goes from kind of bordering on giving up 30 points a game to I think even, you know, 24, 23 points a game in terms of uh, scoring defense that that group is capable of if you get Vonta Berf- Bentley, the, the right running mate next year. It, assuming that Bentley comes back, we don't we don't know what his plans are, but that's a spot defensively that I really look to and say that this is going to be 
either a really good defense or a suspect defense going into next year is whether or not they can find that guy. And I understand Nate Landman's not maybe uh, a fair comparison to throw out there, but he is the guy when I look to defensively at that linebacker position that can really make it can kind of elevate everybody around him. Yeah, I I had hopes coming into the season that Vonta Bentley was going to be that guy um, based on just watching some of his film from his time at Clemson and, you know, and the fact that you were you were getting a guy from an elite program who had played significantly. He wasn't a guy that, uh, you know, uh, he obviously was leaving because he had been passed by by some younger, very high end talent, but he wasn't a guy that had just set the bench. Um but, uh, you know, I and so I was a little disappointed. I think he was he's he's obviously serviceable and he did a good job and, and probably was underappreciated this year. Um, a little, you know, something happened in the, you know, with his development, I think physical development in the last couple of years. He uh, was a lot stiffer than I thought he would be, was not very fluid and really just was not a read the play, fill the whole linebacker. He's, he's a guy that, that would bring it and, and would, when he did fill was, was filling it with, with some physicality. Um, but he was best, I think this season when they were putting schemes together that kind of let him, you know, roam a little bit free or come around, you know, he was good at sack, at sacking the quarterback when they would bring him around the edge. Uh, do some of those sort of things, but his sideline to sideline, you know, play in the middle of the field led, left a lot to be desired. So I agree, Adam. If they can find that that real stud linebacker, that that real athlete that they can put in, that's a playmaker and let you know Vonta Bentley kind of play a different role um, in, in the middle, I think that uh, that that's a, that's going to be a big a big help to the defense. One thing about the linebackers, you said Nate Landman, I, but Sean just brought up the side to side. What about like an Addison Gillum? You know that type of kid who who's big and can really motor, right? And and I thought Landman was really good downhill, getting in the backfield, but like sideline to sideline, Addison was really special. I remember. So I, I think that's right. what we he, thought. Des Moines Kennedy was going to be this year, and it just right, never right. panned out, right? Absolutely, right. absolutely. If you can stop the run, if that's one B, you need a couple of really rock solid, you know, maybe even a few more D tackles, a couple of dudes who are, you know what you need an edge rusher who you have to create a, who the other team creates a right. protection plan for. Right. That's what right. you that, need. That's what I was saying too, is one of my top needs is that is that one guy that you have to design an offense around an Alfred Williams type of guy that you have to account for every single play. Now you got to double that guy. Now you got to chip that guy. Now you got to use a running back on him, whatever. Uh, you know, it, it's hard to find good linebackers. And, you know, again, I liken it to, to standing in the middle of the interstate and trying to read cars, but the ones that are great at it, running back, great running back and great uh, linebackers have similar thing. They have that vision, right? And it's almost like an instinct. And, 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 I, and I think it is, I think it's that they process things more quickly. Um, you know, they take all this chaos and they, and they, they just focus out all the junk and they, that's where that's where the hole is. That's where the ball is, and that's what I'm going to go. I used to it used to amaze me with Nate Landman. He, you know, he didn't defeat blocks. He didn't get blocked. He avoided them. He saw where the ball was, and he'd go under him. He'd go behind him. And you know, it's not that he had to beat up a big offensive guard. Is that he just saw where the ball was going? He got there first. And that kind of a guy just makes it so much easier on defense to call call, call plays. Well, we're, I got well, four. We're, yeah, sorry. I was going to say while we're making a wish list, can I just add a road grading tight end to the equation too? 
<laughs> I got four more questions. Are we thumbs up to, to continue this? Or are you guys, I mean, this is going on uh, kind of a, a two hour podcast here, but I appreciate you guys. Let's close it out here. I want to get your favorite memory from your CU experience in the Pac-12. Okay. It's got to be, it's got to be winning the Pac-12 South, right? You know, I, I, that whole journey was really special. There was 27 seniors on that team for Mike McIntyre in 2016, which I don't think you're going to see again. And they were really good kids. You know, they, they were really good guys who had bonded really tightly. And there was a ton of leadership at almost every position on that team. And you go back and you watch that team. They were nasty defensively, right? I mean, generating turnovers, holding teams to field goals. There are a bunch of games that year, the Stanford game, the UCLA game, Utah to an extent where they won it defensively, which was, which was cool because I hadn't seen a Colorado yeah. team with that good of a defense in a while. So it's got to be winning the Pac-12 South in 2016. It just does. Didn't they have four or five NFL draft picks on that defense? Jordan Carroll got drafted. More than that, yeah. Colorado could, yeah, to to piggyback off your point there, Matt, there could be a a national championship team at Colorado that I covered that I don't know if I would revere them as much as the 2016 buffs. Like, Cepho, Phillip, like just the journey that they went through that you all went through together in – John Snelson did such a great job of capturing that whole season. And, you know, Mike McIntyre's personality wasn't uh, electric by any means, but it, it made you kind of buy into the the heartbeat of that locker room. And um, yeah, I, I will, I think this off season, it will give me peace to watch that the rise series just to kind of feel through, you know, through Sefo's eyes. And I mean, that, that was a special group of human beings. Yeah, I, I guess I'll I'll just jump in there next, and 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 it's going to be two two moments from that 2016 season too. And uh, w- one of them was uh, I can't remember which game it was. It might have been Utah or the one at Washington State, but uh, Philip Lindsay gets the ball about the ten yard line. And they hit, they hit him about three, and another guy hits him. Another guy, and and I just remember uh, uh, our announcer Mark um, Johnson. Mark Johnson. Lindsay, 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 and he uh, and he and, and he pushes, forces his way into the end zone. You know, all a buck twenty of them. You know, just pure, just just a heart with legs. That's you right. know, and, and that that's one of those great moments. And then the other one was, I think, the Washington State game. And I'm trying to remember the defensive back that had a big tackle on a fourth down towards the end of that game. I was I was up at the top of the where all the players' parents sit, and I was standing next to his parents that whole game, and and. Uh, two things stick out about that is that defense showed up every single time they had to. And then they just said the hell with this offense. Cepho is going to go off tackle every freaking time. And mm. that guy would get as, not, as much as he needed. <laughs> you know, if it was, it was three yards and one inch, he got three yards and two inches and they just kept doing it. And they just, and they just kept beating the hell out of that kid. And, and he, and he just wouldn't, take no for an answer and just being there uh with the players parents up there in that on that uh east side of the stadium you know at the top of the lower bowl and and watching that all happen um was just it was just so fun and so exciting and so and you know I was, I was with this one defensive backs parents and they were and he was having a great game and they were so excited and it was just a lot of fun so th- those would be my two moments from the Pac-12 and outside of that it's pretty grim <laughs> 
Yeah. If you I, see Sefo Lufau, sorry to cut you off, Sean. If you see Sefo Lufau out in public, wherever you are in the future, buy that guy a, a meal because I know that those hoods, those hits took a, a wearing on his body as that season went along. He he felt ever, the brunt of all of that. And so yeah. um I think the the Buffalo Horde Award should be renamed after Sefalupa at some point. Yeah, I, I agree. agree. You know yeah. he's a, he's actually becoming a firefighter right now. I was talking That's to awesome. him a little. That's I was awesome. talking to him a little while ago, and I was like, "Look, man, if you had to come break that door down to save me, right? I trust you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Of all the guys, of all the guys I've known at CU football to be a hero, he's the one. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you were going to go there next, Adam, but it's it's kind of ironic that that 2016 season for me holds both the the favorite memory and then also probably counts as the least favorite memories. And, and so, you know, I I think there were enough lows um, throughout the, uh, the PAC 12 era to, uh, to fill a phone book, but, but in terms of being the least favorite, um, you know, my favorite still, and I think it was, um, was, was the, the win in Eugene. And and the moment out of that was you know was the play by I think it was Akella Witherspoon was it right. in the end yep, zone yep, that didn't yep, yep. Um, that is the highlight of of the Pac-12 experience for me you know partially just because it was Oregon um, so and but that you know that same season has some of the 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 least favorite memories too the uh, Cepho going down in the big house was oh. just crushing that was brutal missing the opportunity oh. to to knock off the number four team in the country on the biggest stage right um and and then you know the tail end of that season after that that uh you know such a feel-good season so many great moments and then to get shellacked in the the title game against washington and then to really you know kind of go into that alamo bowl game um with uh, a lot of the, the hope out of the season um, you know, put behind you and then to get, you know, just waxed by Oklahoma state and that, that Alamo bowl game, those, those three moments were kind of just the, the low points for me because that season had taken us to a place where, you know, really it, at that point in time, you hadn't been as a CU fan in 15 years. And, you know, to go back to that Michigan game, we also, Derek McCartney also blew out his knee in that game. And prior to that, we had bookends with him and Jimmy Gilbert, which, mm-hmm. man, we hadn't had that. We hadn't had that since Alfred and Canavis almost. And, really and those guys were so, so effective and taken there. And then, you know, they had to move that, uh, who was the kid to walk on defensive back? Then they had to kind of play him as a hybrid up there outside. Moeller, Ryan Moeller. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, man. I, you're, Sean, your, your comments kind of made me think if we had a couple more years in the Pac-12, I wonder if Oregon would replace the Cornhuskers as our most hated team. <laughs> I think they were well on their way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thinking back to that Michigan loss back in 2016, Diego Gonzalez also tore his Achilles kicking off in that game. That's right. You mentioned Derek McCartney got hurt. Cephalufau got knocked out. Those three guys lived together, and they all got hurt on the That's same right. day. <laughs> and was, they're just, I was, yeah, I was out at that game. I was, you know, that was the second. That was the first time I've been back to CU Michigan since you know the game, the catch, and and was back there. My best friend is from Ann Arbor, so his family could get us tickets. And so, you know, at the end of the first quarter, I'm like, Ugh! and it was it it was quiet as a mouse in there, man. You know, because they're like, holy shit, this team's gonna beat us. 
that was yeah. it felt like that up until yeah. he left that throw that was one of the best throws too the throw yeah. on one foot to shave for the touchdown was, my god that yeah was nuts yeah that yeah was nuts that season taught me just what leadership really looks like in college right. football. You know right. what I mean? Because it's not, ju- it's every position room, everybody working together for a collective, right. you know, right. and maybe that was kind of what Cavassier smoke was speaking to a little bit in that he didn't feel that type of connective tissue, obviously. But as Adam said, that was a team that had gone through the, you know, the, the fiery crucible for four years and had taken so many bad losses and then just finally said enough. And right. that was, that was really cool. I love the fact that when Akella Witherspoon picked that ball off, that there was a young reporter to my left that didn't know the rules about not cheering in a press conference. And she just kind of grabbed my arm and shook me because that was, that's what I wanted to do if I was uh, able right. to do that in the press box, because you had seen these guys suffer through so many tough losses and even post game going down and watching uh, everybody just interact with each other outside. It's funny. Oregon spends all this money on their facilities, but the visitors have literally the worst facilities in the entire oh, Pac-12 because yeah. they're they're not spending that money on the opposing team coming out. But to see the look on people's faces and uh, Stephen Montez coming to the post game press conference and Brian asked him, "What did you think when Bryce Bobo made that second touchdown catch?" And Steven said, da na na da na na And I was like, okay, we've we've got a good interview in our yeah. quarterback for the future. And unfortunately, Steven's career didn't play out the way we were hoping. Yeah, but oh my goodness. Uh, that, that, that was that was a fun moment. That was his best game as a buff. Ever. Yeah, ever. And and I, and I think I think in many ways it was it was almost a disservice to himself because everybody expected that from every and it was such an electric performance. My God, you're thinking, oh my God. We got the guy, finally, after all, and just never came about.